Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action to create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in this tech field starts right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Dan Draper. Dan is the CEO and founder of CypherStash, a data storage platform for sensitive data. Their platform uses searchable encryption technology to protect against attacks that leak a snapshot of the entire running system, thereby enabling development teams to search data with high levels of protection without compromising on usability. Dan is a seasoned cryptography engineer whose goal is to equip all developers with the skills they need to create safe applications. He is the executive producer of Debugging Diversity, a film that explores why there are so few women in technology, as well as what might be done to change it. Welcome to the show, Dan. I'm so excited to have you on. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. Sure. So let's get started. So, Dan, I'm so excited to have you on as a Mentors That Make a Difference segment of our show. Uh, so thanks so much for being an ally for women in technology. Tell us some more about you. Well, as you can probably tell by the accent, I'm an Australian, Aussie. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up in a, in a, a city in the south of Australia called um, Adelaide and uh, most, most people probably haven't heard of it, but it's a lovely little city. I now live in Sydney in Australia. Um, I've been in, in tech really my whole life. Uh, you know, my, my dad was a designer and my, my mom was an accountant and writer. And they weren't particularly technical, but I, I discovered computers when I was about 14 and mm. um, uh, developed a strong passion for it, shall I say, bordering on obsession. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm now I'm now 40 and have been obsessed ever since. Um, nice. But what I found interesting about that as a 14-year-old discovering computers, there weren't very many kids back in those days. I learned to code through books. There was no internet in, mm-hmm. in, at my school when I was learning to code. Uh, but I had a rare opportunity that a few young people back then in those days had, but not many, um, to get into computing at a young age. And it was in particular, it was more mostly boys that, that had that opportunity, and, and so I look back on that uh, those times now with a with a different lens. Um, but it was very interesting at the time, and it's it certainly started what has become a fruitful career for me. Um, these days, I am the uh, CEO and founder of a company called Cypherstash, and we are building what we call a searchable encrypted data vault, which we might cover later in the uh, in the podcast. Um, cybersecurity is my is my interest and my my um, specialty nowadays, um, but I've worked in all kinds of different areas of technology, leading engineering teams um, in, you know, education, healthcare, uh, recruitment. I've worked in Australia and, and the US, lived in New York for a while. Um, so I've had a fairly a fairly interesting career, I think. Very, very interesting and great career. I mean, you've, you've, 
you know, gotten in the trenches with coding too, which is so awesome. And, um, you know, we are kind of similar. I started uh, very early with a fascination for technology uh, when I was 15. And um, it's not gone away. It's really <laughs> just continued, except you're younger than me. And so I started with punch cards. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Coding with punch cards. So, yeah, that dates me quite a bit. But, you know, it is it just shows you how far technology has come over the years. It's just amazing. Indeed. Yeah. I, I Sometimes I, I have, I mean, punch cards to me, it's probably not that much uh, before my time, but it seems like such a difference. Mm -hmm. and, but even now I talk to some of my, my younger colleagues, might only be 10 or 15 years younger than me, and mm -hmm. tell them that I didn't have the internet when I first started to learn to code. And they look at me with, <laughs> you know, blank stares like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's really, it's really been a dramatic change in the last um, 20 years or so. It's quite, yeah, quite, I think quite incredible. I think about my phone. I think about the technology we have today. We couldn't live without it. I mean, we, we don't know what to do. I mean, everything right. is in my phone, from the camera to my clock to <laughs> pictures to my credit cards. Everything's there. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. can't do anything without using technology. You can't you, you can't, can't live a live a, a normal life um, <laughs> without engaging with technology mm -hmm. in some way. Yeah. yeah, and I, I, I don't know. You, you know, I think about, you know, the future when I retire, I need to give up that phone and not be so connected to it. But I don't know that that'll happen ever. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, Dan, this podcast is focused on bridging the employment pay and culture gap for women in technology. And we know technology is a male dominated field. What are you seeing in the industry today? Indeed, yeah. Um, I think I, I should say this. Now that I'm very focused on it, I see things very differently. Um, it's not, I'm not sure that I, I was always fully aware of these challenges. I think that's pretty typical for, for men in the industry. Um, but what I'm, what I'm seeing nowadays is a lot of talk. We see a lot of events. We see a lot of articles. There's a lot of um, news coverage about the, the lack of diversity in technology. The challenge, I think, is that to an extent, we're sort of preaching to the choir a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, I go to a number of events. I'm involved in a, a, a group here in Sydney called Demand Championing Change. And uh, it's a group that's um, it's mostly men, as by the name, uh, come together and talk about um, how we can play a role in, in addressing diversity. But it's the same characters that turn up. Wonderful people. And I'm, I'm so pleased with the work that they're doing. But uh, we need we need to spread the spread the message further. We need to to get people involved in this discussion that perhaps haven't been aware of these issues or maybe don't see themselves as playing a role. Um, and you you lift up a little bit higher for a second and look at uh, women's participation uh, in technology. And, and I rely very heavily on um, uh, statistics that come out of various organizations, but one in particular, the, the National Center for Women and Information Technology, which is um, run by uh, Lucy Sanders out of UC Boulder in Colorado. And uh, they publish stats on women's participation in the technology workforce every year. And since 2003, that the, the number hasn't really changed. It still hovers around 24%, 20, 23% to 25%. And that that surprises me. I've been I've been sort of becoming aware of these issues for maybe six or seven years now, and in that time I've seen a lot more discussion. 
uh, a lot more awareness. And yet those numbers don't seem to be changing. Um, what else is kind of alarming is the gender pay gap doesn't really seem to be changing very much. Uh, in Australia, for example, the gender pay gap is uh, roughly 14% across all industries. In technology, or technically, actually, they, they just describe it as STEM in these reports, but it's 25% uh, in STEM, which is really awful. In the US, it's a little better. Um, it's It varies from state to state, but it's still roughly around 7%, 7 uh, you know, gender pay gap in tech. Any pay gap really is unacceptable. Right. Um, but one final thing I'll share, which I've become aware of more recently, is uh, there's been quite a lot of research around men's perspectives on uh, on gender diversity and uh, you know the role that they could or should play. And what's interesting, uh, one one study that came out of um, an organisation here in Sydney uh, called uh, the Dream Collective, they published uh, some stats and. I'll just give you a couple of them, which I, I found mm. particularly um, uh, eyebrow raising, shall we say. Um, around half of men, actually just over half of the men that were surveyed, said that they feel some level of reverse discrimination now. They mm. feel like that this discussion around, you know, gender equality and, um, you know, improving diversity uh, is somehow discriminating against them, which I find mind boggling personally. Uh, and even as a man, <laughs> uh, and that a, th a third of men feel that uh, solving this problem is is somehow a zero-sum game. In in other words, they feel that if they're elevating women, that they must somehow suffer. And so I think with all the talk and all the, you know, seeming uh, action that's taking place in this space, it's it's apparent to me that we still have a lot of work to do, and we have a lot of work to do particularly with the men that maybe fit into that 50% and that 30% group that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. I think you, it's amazing. The stats you put out there are so accurate and same stats we're hearing, you know, all over the world. And it is, there is this bias. There's an unconscious bias. I think that men have that, you know, maybe this reverse discrimination or uh, elevating women makes them lower, you know, they, they kind of lower their standard. And that's not true. That is not true. We just need us to be equal. That's all. That's, Absolutely. That's, that's all we're looking for, right? Um, but it's, it's so interesting that, you know, a lot of the problems in not enough women in technology is really on women, which is crazy for me to say as being a woman, but I see Women just don't, they lack confidence. And when you lack confidence, you don't see yourself as equal. And so they sometimes put themselves into this situation. What are your thoughts mm. on that? It's a really interesting uh, conundrum. I, I, I see, let me step back a, a second. Mm -hmm. In in my, my 20, 20 odd years working in engineering, I have never encountered any difference in capabilities between men and women in technology. Mm -hmm. In fact, mm -hmm. some of the very best engineers I've ever worked with have been women. And mm -hmm. I, I actually don't think gender is correlated to, to, to engineering capability in any way whatsoever. But I have noticed one particular difference between men and women, and that is that men seem to, uh, seem, if, there, if there's any confidence, they seem to be slightly overconfident mm -hmm. and women tend to be slightly underconfident or mm -hmm. not as confident as they could be. And the way that that sometimes manifests itself, you know, you, you've probably 
heard this or 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 had guests on your podcast that have said something similar when there's a, a job advertisement mm-hmm. and uh there are maybe 10 criteria that the 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 company's looking for if a man uh has two or three of those criteria and goes yeah cool i'm going to apply for that job mm-hmm. uh, often women will um uh will not apply unless they've got eight or nine of those criteria checked or maybe Sometimes even all of them. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I and I'd heard this before. I I remember experiencing it with my wife um a few years back. She um uh she works in she's not in technology, she works in the entertainment industry. But she saw a a job ad and she she came home from uh, from work one day and she says, Oh geez, I wish I could apply for this job. This looks really cool. It's like my dream job, but I don't I don't meet all the criteria. And I, I said, Can I have a look? And I, I looked at the job ad and I said you can do all of this stuff. I mean, maybe you haven't done this one and haven't done this one before, but I know you can do that. Mm-hmm. And I encouraged her to apply. And guess what? She got the job. That's awesome. And, and I sort of thought, well, now I see. Now I understand. And uh, I think one of the things that that uh, perhaps um, we need to do in the industry is maybe um, in the example of job ads, um, don't necessarily state very explicit criteria. Don't set a really high bar uh, and say we will only talk to you if this y, uh, X Y Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, have a have a, a more open and, and and broad set of expectations, uh, and then uh, you know so through the recruitment process or the interview process, start to tease out what what um, what the candidates might be interested in doing, what their capabilities really are. Don't let people self-select out. I think you need to give give more uh, open opportunities to folks. Um, and then uh, similarly, for the leaders in the organizations um, that, are, that are tackling these kinds of challenges, I think it's incumbent on them, on us, uh, to you know, give people a little nudge in the right direction. Sometimes people will self-select out. Uh, imposter syndrome is a thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes lack of confidence plays a, a really important role. Um, and uh, people just need a nudge. I mean, I have um, just to, just to wrap this thought up. I have uh, one example to share on that front. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the CTO for an organization uh, called Expert 360 a number of years ago, and there was uh, a woman in my team. She actually changed careers. She she'd been working um, for 10 or 15 years, and she decided to to come into tech. So she was a little bit older than the sort of typical grads. Um, but she'd been coding or engineering for maybe three or four years. And I could see she was a very strong engineer, especially for somebody who'd been doing it for a relatively short time and it had enormous potential. And uh, we were running these these meetups um, once a month and uh, we were looking for speakers. And I I said to her, hey, why don't you why don't you speak? Why don't you do a talk? And she says to me, oh, but I, I can't talk about some of this really, you know, hardcore, complicated stuff. And I said, you don't need to talk about hardcore, complicated stuff. Talk about something that you're passionate about, something that you're working on at the moment. And uh, so I kind of gave her a uh, an opportunity to to speak, and she put together a talk. She spoke in front of I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 people, and it was incredibly well received. And I remember her coming up to me afterwards with this huge grin on her face, saying, "Thank you so much for encouraging me to do that. I I didn't, I had no." conception that I could do that 
But now that I've done it, I feel like I can do it again. And she did. She kept doing it. And she's had a very fruitful career ever since. Uh, and in fact, I'm now very fortunate enough to have been able to hire her again. And she now works in uh, in my new company. So uh, it was um, I, th- I think that was a really good example of what I'm trying to trying to get at. Wow. I want to clone you, Dan. <laughs> a thousand <laughs> times. <laughs> That's amazing. And and you have said everything perfectly. I couldn't have said it any better. I always <laughs> tell that job story, too. And it's so true. I mean, you know, you see it every day. But your words of encouragement gives them confidence to say, wow, somebody believes in me. I can do it. Right. And that is so important. Sometimes we just need that nudge, like you said. So that's that's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, you know, being an ally is we are just so thankful to you for for doing that. What are some of the qualities or the, you know, um, habits or the qualities, I guess, that we should look for in building allyship because we need more allies to give us more of a voice because a lot of times we're at the table, but we don't have a voice. And so having allies support us and, you know, uh, raise up uh, just an idea to say, Oh, you know, Jennifer, I think Jennifer has an idea, you know, and go that way. What are some of the qualities that an ally should have that we should look for? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a question I do get asked a lot. Um, there are quite a lot of men who want to um, to be allies. I mean, I, I speak mainly from the perspective of, of men because obviously mm-hmm. I am one, but also mm-hmm. I think um, I try to be a role model for other men. Mm-hmm. So consequently, a lot of men do ask me for advice on this topic. So uh, some of the some of the the thoughts that that I share when I get asked this question, number one is to acknowledge that this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the funny thing about privilege is that if you've got privilege, you probably don't realise that you've got privilege. If you don't have privilege, that's when it starts to become apparent. It's taken me a long time to realise or to accept that I've got privilege, just mm-hmm. being I'm a, I'm a white, straight male. <laughs> um, right. And, uh, you know, I didn't come from a wealthy wealthy family or or I was never particularly fortunate um but I've had I've now had a, a fruitful career but I think what's important to to note is that none of my successes or failures have had anything to do with my gender race or sexuality mm-hmm. um and I think getting getting other people who have privilege to to realize or acknowledge that they have privilege and to acknowledge that they're our challenges in our industry surrounding privilege and and gender and race mm-hmm. uh, is incredibly important. Even even just to getting them to acknowledge that there is a gender pay gap, you would be amazed, and maybe not <laughs> I'm amazed no, at how many would, yeah. men refuse to believe that there is a gender pay gap. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm sure. I, I, I and it's it real. You're probably and very aware real. of it. <laughs> yeah, and it's real. Yeah. Um. So that's number one. Uh, just 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 acknowledging that this is a thing and, and even if we don't even if uh, you know you don't necessarily fully understand it just just believe us believe believe us when we're saying this is a problem the awareness yep yeah um number two uh speak up if you see uh some bad behavior or um there's a colleague or uh even a boss that's doing something that you think is inappropriate uh say something 
Um, sometimes you can say it in a in a public forum. Um, I fully accept that that is an incredibly hard thing to do. Um, so sometimes saying it in a private forum after the fact is is almost as good. Um, but do something about it. Um, you know, it's something I've I've tried to do many times over the years. Um, a very um uh, a very simple one. I I had a um a meeting with a team. Uh, in, a, in a workplace a few years ago, and um, one of the male team members was, I mean, he's very, very gregarious and excited, and and um, he's a good engineer. He's, he's good at what he does, but he absolutely dominated the meeting. I don't think anyone else said a single word, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and least of all the the uh, two or three women that were in in the mm-hmm. meeting. And I I pulled him after pulled him up afterwards, and I said, look. I, I I love how passionate you are about this stuff, and I uh, I really admire you know the the energy you have. But you've got to give other people an opportunity to to contribute, to speak. Mm-hmm. Maybe try try keeping your mouth shut for the first five minutes in the meeting next time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he sort of looked at me and went, "Oh my God, you're right. I I had no idea. I actually didn't realize." Uh, right. So I think sometimes speaking up doesn't have to be confrontational. Sometimes it's really just about helping people see things that they haven't seen themselves. Uh-huh. So speaking uh-huh. up, number two. Uh, number three, provide opportunities. Uh, you know, I shared that example of uh, of my my former and now current <laughs> colleague um, earlier. It, particularly uh-huh. if you are in uh, in a leadership position, um, you uh, I think it's I think it's a really important role that you can play to help find opportunities for members of your team, particularly those that are typically uh, not as well represented, like like women and minorities. Yep. Um, and then finally, number four, uh, once again, particularly if you're in, leadership, in a leadership position, is change systems. What are the kinds of systems that you have in your organization that could be um, having an effect on, on um, women and minorities in your team? Uh, so things like hiring practices, and we talked about some of that before. Uh, another another great one is things like um, open salaries. So at Sifestash, for example, we've um, taken the approach now that we have a, a fully open and transparent salary plan. Uh, we don't publish it outside the company, but everyone inside the company knows what everybody else is on, what level they're on, and we have, um, excuse me, standard kind of um, uh, salary uh, levels, not even ranges, but a level for each particular mm-hmm. role in the business. And that way it it, it it doesn't entirely eliminate the gender uh, pay gap, but it is a really, really important step in addressing, um, uh, in eliminating it essentially. So things like that can can help. And there's all kinds of different um, systems and, and processes that we could talk about, but they're sort of the four main things that I think um, a, a good ally needs to think about. That's incredible, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is You're so welcome. amazing. You you are hitting all the nails on the head because this is so near and dear to my heart. And you there's nobody who has said it the way you have. And it's just so articulate and it explains it absolutely correctly. So thank you. I'm thank so you. happy to hear that. <laughs> I, so I, I, just, just one other thing I wanted to sure. say before I yeah. move on, Jennifer. Yeah. Um sorry to, to cut you off. No, no, no. Um, I'm so, I'm I'm thrilled that you said that, but I have to say that it's it's taken a very long time to understand this, and I uh, was not I certainly was not comfortable with this stuff for a long time, mm-hmm. and I'm very fortunate that I've had some wonderful mentors, um, but.
But uh, what I wanted to say to, to any other men that might be uh, listening or, or, or women who could perhaps pass this message on um, is that if you don't understand this stuff, it's okay. Uh, it's okay to make mistakes, but uh, I think we all just need you to try. Start wow. to try and learn this stuff. Yeah. So true, because it, does, it doesn't come innately for a lot of people. There are unconscious biases, like I said before. People don't even know they had it. You know, I mean, the, the mm. man who was speaking and not thinking of anybody else to speak wasn't intentionally doing it. He was just passionate and he was just out there saying what he was thinking. But when you brought it to his attention, that awareness says, wow, I, I am... I didn't even know that, right? So now I'm going to be better. And so we all learn step by step. There's no right or wrong. You have to fall. You have to learn step by step. And it, it might take a long time, and that's really okay. We can do it one step at a time, and we don't have to make big strides to make these changes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your business. Your uh, expertise is in data security. Share, share with us why data security is more crucial now than ever before. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> everybody's talking about, you know, security pretty much. Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it sort of comes back to what we were talking about earlier where you can't do anything without using technology in some way or another. And, uh, you know, the way, that, the way that I think about it, I mean, every time you, you buy something online, you buy a pair of jeans or you make an appointment to see a doctor or apply for a loan or process an insurance claim. Every time you do one of those things, you're giving some of your uh, probably sensitive and certainly personal data to, to another company. And uh, I, um, I actually uh, had a report done recently by a company called Mine um, that uh, helped me understand how many organizations I had actually given data to. And it's something like 1,100 different organizations. Uh, And then if you you look at some of the data security statistics, for example, in the US, roughly one in uh, in two, so 50% of companies will suffer a data breach at some point in the next five years. Uh, All you got to do is multiply those two numbers out, you know, 1,100 or let's say 1,200 companies and 50%, but 600 companies are going to lose my data at some point. Mm. <laughs> that is terrifying, <laughs> quite frankly. That is terrifying. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, so I, I wanted to, um, to, to to find solutions to, to, to that problem. And I mean, this is a, it's an enormous problem. It's probably equal in magnitude to, to the diversity problem. It's another, <laughs> another huge problem facing our industry. Um, and I was, uh, I hope to play a small part in, in its solution. That's awesome. That's awesome. That is very, very frightening. Um, I've heard also similar statistics and it just, you know, where we are using our phones and doing banking and doing credit card stuff all over. And Mm. a lot of people don't think about the security piece of it. And you need to think, you know, we're on Wi-Fi everywhere and you're not even thinking about, okay, what am I putting on this Wi-Fi connection that that could be hacked somehow so it's really interesting right yeah so I, I, I think careful right <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> um what i also find really interesting about this problem is that uh you know once again developers are kind of at the heart of this problem um mm-hmm. developers are the ones that build the the technology that stores this data uh, or builds the applications that sits on top of the uh you know data infrastructure 
Um, so I think the other the other sort of really big issue that we're facing in this in this regard is how do we help developers become um, more security aware, better mm-hmm. better security engineers? I, su- I, I suppose you could say. How do we how do we give them the tools or the education to um, to make sure that the applications they're building are 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 taking good care of our data? Uh, and that's a that's a huge challenge. Now, um, you know, I I run a IT training business, and so we do skill uh, IT pros on security and security as part of different pieces of technology. So it's starting to come out more and more, and it's becoming a very very hot topic. But the skills to do that is also critical. Like you said, developers have to think of that first as they're building before they were thinking of the business application and building it based on that, not thinking about security. Now they have to build it based on the business application and the security piece. So it is very important for them to understand the bigger picture as to how dangerous it can be if somebody grabs your data, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think a lot of this needs to come from, um, you know, from the business. I, I think developers, uh, you know, we're always um, working to build products that are easy to use, have great user experience. Um, they are performant, you know, they're, they're, they're snappy and, and uh, responsive. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, developers are thinking about accessibility and and making it you know available to everybody, um, but probably not typically thinking enough about security. And I think part of it is because uh, that hasn't been a business priority. Uh, if it's if it's not something the business cares about uh, deeply, then it's probably not going to become a huge priority for the organization mm-hmm. uh, for the for the team. Um, conversely, uh, I think. Even when businesses do uh, make this an imperative, say we need to make sure that our data is secure, um, developers don't necessarily know how to do that effectively. But there's also this tension between, you know, you might have a product manager that's saying, okay, we've got a we've got a shipping date, we've got to get this stuff out, we've got to get it done. Uh, you've got customers demanding more features, and there's this little voice in the background. Maybe it's the chief information security officer, and and she's saying. Um, Okay, team, we've got to get this security on under control, but you know, with all these competing pressures, it's um, sometimes not straightforward, and uh, often security is the one that loses out. And then you find out the hard way, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> Which you don't want. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That is crazy. Well, you're in the right business. I will tell you, we need that that help constantly. So I know we've talked a lot about diversity and inclusion and especially in the tech space, but I want to know more about debugging diversity. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so debugging diversity was, um, it was kind of an accident for me, if I'm completely honest. Um, uh, A friend of mine and I were making um, uh, YouTube videos um, about the tech industry way back in 2014. And, you know, we were talking about things like pair programming and, and testing and, you know, fairly, fairly technical uh, topics. And uh, we wanted, we decided we wanted to do something, uh, you know, about the people in our industry. And my friend said to me, oh, why don't we do a, a, a YouTube video about why there aren't many women in tech? And uh, I sort of looked at him and said, oh yeah, that's interesting. Cause I've always kind of wondered why there aren't more women in tech and oh, how naive we were. 
<laughs> we had no idea what we were what we were getting ourselves into. Um, but it became as I as I learned more about this topic, I realized how uh, how important it is, how big a topic it is, and also how challenging it is uh, and, and continues to be to solve. Um, and what what started out as really was going to be a short YouTube video turned into a, a feature length documentary, and that also and then turned into a uh, a series, a docu series. Wow. And so de- debugging diversity is now a, a three part uh, series. Um, we we realized that a um, a feature length documentary uh, was it didn't give us enough latitude to sort of explore other topics over time. So. The, uh, the three episodes that we've we've um, we've created. The first one is actually available already. You can watch it now at debuggingdiversity.com um, on uh, via Vimeo on demand. Uh, okay. The the second two episodes are are still in production. Um, episode one is called Nerd.exe, and it's uh, it essentially explores. We we talk a little bit about the history of of um, women in tech and 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 the lack of diversity, but really we wanted debugging diversity to be about what actions we can take. Um, and uh, so we talk a lot about um, gender stereotypes. Uh, we interviewed uh, Lucy Sanders from the, the National Center for Women and Technology. We interviewed um, Michelle Glauser, who led the um, I Look Like an Engineer campaign. Um, mm. There's some really interesting stories in there. And um, one thing I, I often say when, when people ask me about debugging diversity is this, this show, uh, although I hope it's, interesting and, and appealing to women, I actually made it for men. Mm. Um, and it sort of goes back to what we were talking about before with this, this sort of echo chamber. Uh, let's be honest, women are not the ones we need to convince that there's a, a gender problem in tech. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <That's true. laughs> it's the it's the men. Um, admittedly, not all, not all men. I don't mm-hmm. like saying it like that, but, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of men are quite, quite sympathetic and, and understand that this uh, problem. But even then, they don't quite know exactly what they need to do. Right. How can how can they help? Um, and then, of course, there's a there's the the the, uh, the cohort of men who who don't even know that it's a problem or don't believe that it's a problem. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's an element of trying to convince them as well. Um, episodes two and three. Episode two covers um, sort of some of the challenges in our education, um, how we can, um, you know. Teach children more effectively what computing is and how and how it can be used, um, and uh, you know the idea of getting into technology later in your career. Um, and then episode three goes um, into some of the really challenging topics around around um, gender roles and stay-at-home dads and uh, you know workplace cultural things. And yeah, there's, there's some interesting interesting stories in there and some pretty confronting stuff. But I hope that um, uh, the the lessons will be um, will be very clear and valuable to uh, to the men and women who who watch it. Thank you for putting that together. I can't wait to go and see the the first part of the series. And um, I just I love that you've put so much work and time into this because I think the education part is so important because you know, what you don't know, you don't know. So the more you can be aware, the more you can question yourself and say, am I in the right place? Am I thinking of this correctly? Um, Am I aware that this is a problem? You know, so very, Mm. very, very good, good work. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. I mean, it's imperative that we do this. It's imperative for 
for our industry and it's imperative for society in, in thank my opinion. you so, yes yeah. yes i i just i keep saying i want to clone you a thousand times <laughs> <laughs> so um is there a lesson learned or the one one thing that you wish you had known when you began your career that you found out now? And maybe it's the diversity thing, but just a lesson learned or a best practice that you thought, wow, if I learned this sooner, it would have been so much better. Yeah, <laughs> I, um, uh, I was thinking about this earlier, actually. Uh, there's probably lots of things, but the, the one thing that, that really struck out to me when I was reflecting on this is, it's okay to be vulnerable. Uh, I I don't think I ever really felt that in my early career. Um, and I know, I, I think a lot of men in particular struggle with that idea that it's okay to be vulnerable. Uh, I mean, men are, are, are often told that it's not okay to be vulnerable. It's not okay to cry. It's not okay to, you know, say that you're afraid or, or anxious or, or sad or anything like that. Um, and yet, I think as a leader, the times that I've been vulnerable with my team or, or my direct reports uh, has helped us forge a bond that I didn't think was possible in a in a kind of work context. Um, it's helped me become a better leader, but it's also helped me uh, build stronger bonds with my team um, that I don't know all the answers, that I... Um, maybe uh I'm, I'm feeling a little anxious or afraid about the you know the amount of work that we have to do or the particular problem that we have to solve um i wish that i knew that <laughs> when i was younger and i wish that more people would realize that as well so that's probably the that's that's my answer i love that i love that and you know i'm still learning to be more vulnerable it's not easy because <laughs> you feel like you want to say the right things and know everything and you know be that leader that people respect but sometimes it is okay to say i don't know and mm. be humble and vulnerable to say you know i'm human we'll learn together you know <laughs> right so yeah and especially develop i mean developers are are always smart uh, mm-hmm. and and I think they can see through it when you don't know the answer. You know, if you pretend to know the answer and they go, oh, I don't know about this, and that's when you lose, you know, you lose trust, you lose faith. Um, right. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So who are the three people that come to mind who have been the most influential to you? Um, I mean, I, I, I should say my mum and dad, but I think mm-hmm. I think that probably goes without saying. Um, yeah. they've, had a, they've had a big influence on my life. but. Um, I would say, going right back to the early days, my my fifth grade teacher, uh, mm-hmm. a woman named Mrs. Stevens, um, and she she saw something in me that I guess nobody else saw at that time. Um, and um, you know, I, I grew up in a in a in a country town. It was a um, it wasn't a, a poor district, but it certainly wasn't a, an affluent district. And I think that. I think that she she kind of took me under her wing and and uh, and helped me helped me really really thrive as a as a young as a young kid. Um, I think in what, um, way? in what way? Um, I was really into writing. Mm. Uh, and and you know this is be sort of before I discovered computers. And um, I frankly I was I was teased quite a lot as a kid because I was mm. I was interested in things that most kids weren't. You know mm. I, I wanted to write. Um, I wanted to write stories and and 
poems and <laughs> stuff mm-hmm. like no, that. Whereas awesome. most yeah. most of the other boys wanted to go and play football. You know, Australia mm-hmm. it's it's Australian football rules. It's right. you know that's that's what they do. Um, and I was never interested in that stuff. I I got into sport and things like that later on. But I think mm-hmm. having um having her really sort of foster my interest and and support me and help me realize that that was that was totally okay to to be interested in those kind of things was incredibly powerful to me and i don't i didn't realize it until the time i don't i don't even think i realized it until much later in my life but she was incredibly important in my my development i think um i have to say my wife (laughs) i know that sounds like a cop-out but she (laughs) she is my my co-founder in a way um she she runs her own business she she's a musician she works in the entertainment industry and uh, I, I started Cyphestash on my own, but I see her in in many ways as my co-founder. She's she's the person that's there when I, you know, I'm I'm having a tough time or I'm I'm stressed out, or she she can be a, a muse to bounce ideas off me. And I I like to think that I'm the same for her. <laughs> um, but uh, she's incredibly influential in my life. And and then the final one, this was a a, a guy called uh, Mel. Um, who um, is probably not going to listen to this podcast, but uh, maybe he should. He um, he was uh, he's about ten years older than me, and in my early career, um, he introduced me to uh, Linux, uh, the mm-hmm. Linux operating system, and mm-hmm. uh, and the community behind that open source software and um, uh, and a number of the technologies like that I that I continue use, to use today, like PostgreSQL, the database, for example. He introduced mm-hmm. me to that whole world, and that it honestly changed my career. Uh, I, I've become a, an open source advocate, and I have been involved in that ecosystem for many years. And I'd never even heard of open source software before I met him, and um, I, I, I credit him with a with an enormous. Um, uh i credit him enormously for my career really uh, he was he was such a strong influence for me so that's those, those three people. a whole new world for you yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally. well, that's amazing that's great i i love those um examples and i think you know your fifth grade teacher your wife and mel all are very very proud of who you've become <laughs> because <laughs> you're amazing you're amazing All right. So in closing, I could talk to you forever, I think, (laughs) but (laughs) I think we have to close soon. So in closing, what advice would you give to a woman considering a career in the tech industry? Quite simply do it. Um, It's I mean, it's 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 not easy. Uh, It does take it does take a while to become a competent software engineer. Mm -hmm. Like I, I say, it usually takes two or three years before you start to feel like you have some idea what you're doing. Everybody goes through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even when you've been doing it for 20 years, sometimes you still feel like you're a beginner. Um, but it is but a that's superpower. That's the good part of it because right. <laughs> you're challenged, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I, you know, when I was the when I was the CTO at um, my last my last role, I I didn't really write a lot of code. I was mostly mostly sort of doing management type stuff, leading the team and strategy and things. Uh, and then of course when I went and started Cyphestash in the first few months i was the only employee it was just me and i so i was writing code you know eight hours a day uh and i had to kind of get back up to speed and learn some new technologies that i hadn't used before and it was quite challenging but i i loved every second of it it was it was so rewarding um and um you know i i think everybody that that pursues a, a career in technology has a similar experience 
But if, if it, at the end of the day, for me, what it comes down to is it's the ability to not just consume technology, it's the ability to uh, create technology. Um, Jennifer, I'm going to say that again because my, my computer beeped in the background. Um, it's the ability to, to create technology and not just consume technology. We're all consumers of technology. But to be able to uh, to build the products and build the systems and technology that we all use is is an incredibly powerful and rewarding thing. It sure is. Wow. And that's that's the you know amazing part of technology. You have all different roles. You know, so when women are looking out there for a, a career in technology, it doesn't have to be coding. It can be anything. There's a lot of different roles within technology. Absolutely. Yeah, very much so. Um, and, and technology is such an incredibly creative pursuit. I mean, you could be a, a product manager or a designer mm-hmm. or a data scientist or a systems administrator, a right. network engineer, a security penetration tester. There's all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a very broad and interesting field. Well, great advice. So thank you, Dan. I don't know how much I want to thank you. I want to keep saying it over and over again <laughs> because you've been incredible. I think this is a show that, you know, will get a lot of listens and really will inspire women out there and allies out there to grow more women into technology. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Can you share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you? Absolutely. Um so uh, if you want to check out Debugging Diversity, you can go yeah. to uh, debuggingdiversity.com. Um, if you're interested in learning more about uh, searchable encryption technology, you can uh, check out Cypherstash. That's cypherstash.com. Um, and I'm pretty active on Twitter if you want to follow me um, at, at Daniel Draper. Uh, very simple. Perfect. Well, thank you again. It was a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I, uh, I, hope, um, I hope it was valuable and interesting, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to listening to more episodes in the future. Very much so, and I hope to have you on a future show. Love to. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.